0: Psalm 25, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. In you I trust, O my God. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame, but they will be put to shame who are treacherous without excuse. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Saviour, and my hope is in you all day long. Remember, O Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you are good, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful for those who keep the demands of his covenant. For the sake of your name, O Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Who then is the man that fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way chosen for him. He will spend his days in prosperity and his descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who hear him. He makes his covenant known to them. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release me, my feet from the snare. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart have multiplied. Free me from my anguish. Look upon my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. See how my enemies have increased and how fiercely they hate me. Guard my life and rescue me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness protect me, because my hope is in you. Redeem Israel, O God, from all their troubles.
1: Uh, Friends, let's pray. Father in heaven, we want to thank you for your word. And we pray now that by your spirit that you would open up your word, open up our hearts and minds, that uh, we would be people who, even in times of difficulty, especially in times of difficulty, would be trusting in you and living in a way that honors you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, The Bible has a nice way of describing someone who is a friend. Uh, It's the person uh, with whom you share your bread. Uh, In other words, the the person who you have around to your place, that uh, you have a meal with them, that you uh, drink with them, you talk with them, you laugh with them, you... You open up your home to them because you know them, you enjoy them, you like them, and you trust them. Which makes the pain so much greater when they end up being the, the person who turns against you. Uh, and even uses the, the friendship that they had uh, in order to discredit you, to uh, undermine you, to damage your name to shame you. I wonder if that's ever happened to you. Uh, it might, may not be the person who you've had around home for a meal. It uh, could be the, uh, the, the, uh, the person at work uh, who you've uh, gotten on with pretty well. It could be someone from school. It could be the, uh, uh, the neighbour that you've uh, shared time with. Uh, sadly, it could even be someone from church. Uh, You thought that you had a friendship of sorts only to discover that uh, the person behind the scenes has been uh, working against you, um, discrediting you, um, white-hanting your name, uh, bringing shame upon you. How do you feel? How do you feel when that happens? It's more than just disappointment, isn't it? I mean, you know, when someone who we're not close to acts against us uh, then that's disappointing and, and we can feel threatened by that. But when it's a, a friend, we feel betrayed. How do you deal with that? I mean, we know what our natural instincts are, but how do you deal with that in a way that reflects the character of God as a, as a godly Christian man or Christian woman? Um, how do you deal with it? Now, we love the psalms because the, the psalms are so often very deeply personal, aren't they? Uh, they re- reveal to us the, the heart of the author, uh, how the author expressed their, and processed their thoughts and their feelings uh, to God in difficult times. And because so many of the psalms are written by David, who was who a king, the, the issue of uh, leadership and the issue of enemies is never... Uh, far away, uh, the reality is that leaders uh, often live um, with uh, the threat of um, their enemies in their back in the, in the background. And often it's the enemy that can be seen. Uh, in David's case, it could be the the other kings, the the nations around, the peop- the other peoples, and their armies. Uh, That's something that you can see, it's tangible, you know where it is, you know what you're dealing with. But the more dangerous threat is not always the threat from without, it's the threat from within, the uh, fifth column as it were. And this may be the kind of situation that David is dealing with in Psalm 25 because we we see a hint of that in the first three verses. Let me uh, draw your attention to those verses. In verse 1, it says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. In you I trust, O my God. Do not let me be put to shame, not let my enemies triumph over me. No one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame, but they will be put to shame who are treacherous without excuse. You see that? They are treacherous without excuse excuse. That is, uh, David is not aware of any wrong that he has done which uh, would cause them to want to oppose him and yet they are treating him as an enemy. They are treacherous without excuse. Treachery means betrayal, doesn't it? I think that's what it means. Um, David trusted these people but now they are destroying his name. ...in order to shame him. Now we don't know the backstory to this particular psalm. Uh, however, we do know of times when David was betrayed... Um, for, ...because of the narrative of scripture. Uh, for example, in 2 Samuel chapter 15, David had a son whose name was Absalom. And his was the worst kind of treachery... ...because Absalom turned against his very own father... He engineered a coup, Uh, he uh, manipulated people so that he would be the one who would wear the crown. And he caused David, his father, to flee. He caused David uh, great humiliation. He actually uh, slept with um, David's concubines. The fact that David had concubines, that's another story altogether. Uh, but he slept publicly with his concubines uh, with the purpose of humiliating and shaming his very own father. That'd be hard to take, wouldn't it? How would you deal with that? Your own kid being your enemy. And so how does David react in times such as this? Well, one of the, the most obvious thing about his reaction in Psalm 25 is that he prays, doesn't he? I mean, the whole psalm is actually a prayer. It's a, and of course, the fact that he prays shows that he trusts in God because why do we pray? We pray because we acknowledge that God is greater than us and we actually trust that God listens to us. We trust that God can act for our benefit. That's why we pray, isn't it? It's an expression of trust and dependence and in verses 4 through to 11, we see what it meant for David to trust in God. And first of all, his his great desire is that God would teach him his ways. Uh, check, check it out, verse 4. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth. And teach me, for you are God my Saviour. And my hope... Is in you all day long. Remember, O Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you are good, O Lord. Now, that is not our natural response, is it? I mean, when someone does you wrong, what do you feel like doing? Does the word retaliate? or the word revenge, ring a bell? Uh, when we are threatened or betrayed, it's, it is just so tempting for us to want to fight back and to fight back using the weapons of this world. But what we see here is that under that kind of stress, David's primary concern is that he should be godly. That's his concern, that he should know uh, the will of God, And that he should reflect the character of God uh, in the way that he behaves. Show me, teach me, guide me. That's his prayer. Now, secondly, uh, David knows that he himself has not always been like that, that he has not always been godly. Because there's something in these verses which David wants God to not remember, to forget. What's that? In verse 7, do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. Sins of my youth, rebellious. I wonder what he meant by that. I guess that uh, there are things that we do in our youth that later on we're not proud of. Uh, It makes me also wonder if the enemies that he's dealing with here are actually younger men and that he sees something even of himself. Uh, in the way that they are behaving. Whatever the case, there is really, uh, there's a lot of humility in this. That he recognises his own need of forgiveness uh, for his own past. Now, we as Christians ought to find it easier than others to uh, admit our fault when we've done wrong, shouldn't we? And, and to say Sorry. And to seek forgiveness. Um, I've been dealing with an issue just in recent times with outside of the church uh, where someone has done wrong and I've pointed out to someone else who's in a bit of a higher authority that they haven't said sorry and he said don't expect that Scott. said, what I've noticed is it's Christians who tend to be the ones who are more open to saying sorry uh, and to actually asking for forgiveness because we have a uh, confidence and a a self-esteem that is rooted uh, in uh, knowing the character of God and knowing uh, how God has treated us. And we're actually able to admit our faults more, more readily. We know forgiveness. And God has made a covenant with Israel. David knew that. It's... It's interesting that uh, he asks God to remember his great mercy and love towards Israel, which is from of old, and then says, and don't remember my sins from when I was young. (laughs) That's an interesting uh, contrast. But on the basis of the covenant that God has made with Israel, he's able to say in verse 7, Lord, don't remember my sins, but according to your love, please remember me. That's nice, isn't it? That's nice. Don't remember my sins, but do remember me. This is the gospel in the Old Testament, uh, which points us to, to Jesus who on the cross took our sins upon himself so that God remembers our sins how much? Not at all. God remembers out as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sins for us in Jesus. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so far has he removed our sins. And so David says, For the sake of your name, Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. There's hope for the sinner, isn't there? There's hope and there's peace. And it starts with forgiveness. And because uh, in verses 8 to 11, uh, the Lord is good and upright, uh, what that means is that sinners, people like us, we can now learn God's ways. That we can actually, uh, far from being rebellious, can actually change that we can become more like God in our character. Now, I remember uh, when a a Christian I know was treated um, quite badly by uh, someone who was not a Christian, and the person was quite abusive towards the Christian and said some things which were pretty dreadful. But the Christian person responded to that by uh, absorbing the... Uh, the, the abuse, absorbing it, turning the other cheek uh, and didn't just respond by, blowing, by turning the blowtorch on the other person. Uh, it was a horrible situation in which that Christian person responded with grace. And what that meant was that in due time the relationship improved and was restored. And the non-Christian expressed that they were very grateful for the forgiving character of the Christian person. To which the Christian was able to say, Well, that's because I know what it is to be forgiven. We forgive because God in Christ first forgave us. Now, it doesn't always end that well. And when we are treated poorly, even betrayed... There can be a great temptation to, uh, to choose the wrong response. And as I said earlier, to fight with the weapons of the world. But you've got to ask the question, where does that take you? What's, you know, the two choices we have, to respond the world's way or respond God's way, they both end in different destinations. Have a look at verse 12. Who then is the man that fears the Lord? It's a rhetorical question. He will instruct him in the way chosen for him. He will spend his days in prosperity and his descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. My eyes are ever on the Lord for only he will release my feet from the snare. Now here David reflects on the outcome, the destination for the person who trusts in God. He talks about the person who fears God, doesn't he? Interesting expression, to fear God. I, I, what does it mean? I mean, I don't think it means that uh, to be, it doesn't. don't think it necessarily means to be in terror of God. To be absolutely terrified by God, uh, but rather it, n- it means to acknowledge who He is, that He is the great God, that He is the creator of the universe, that He is the one who is all mighty, that He's all wise, that He's all lo- loving, that He is he's God. And we're not, in case you hadn't noticed. <laughs> right? It's to understand who He is, who we are and his right to rule our lives and how we ought to respond. It's like going to the beach. Now, in one sense, it's right to fear the surf. And the fact that we fear the surf drives us to want to swim between the flags. And we enjoy it. We have a great time when we're swimming between the flags because we have a right fear of the surf. But the person who says, well, I don't, I'm not scared of the surf. I don't care about the warnings. I don't care about rips. Look over there. The, the water's nice and flat. It's all ch- wavy and churny everywhere else. It's lovely and flat over there. And there's, hey, there's no one else swimming. I'm going in. <laughs> I'm going in. See, the person who doesn't fear God, they, ironically, they are the person who's got every reason to be terrified by him. For he is their judge. And they do not care for his forgiveness. But the person who fears God, when they are betrayed by enemies, well, you have to make a choice. Respond God's way or man's way. Uh, In verses 12 through to 15, David considers the outcome for the person who fears the Lord. And see what he says in verse 13, that... That person will spend his days in prosperity, and his descendants will inherit the land. Now, what does that mean? Does it mean that if you fear God, that you're going to be filthy rich and you're going to be a great landowner, and your kids are going to pass it all on to your kids and build up the family business? And is that what it means? Well, you know, when Israel entered into Canaan, with what we saw when we looked at Joshua and Judges in the last year or so. Uh, God allocated the land, didn't he? Every tribe got their own allocation of land, and that was to be their inheritance, that they would uh, their tribe, that their families, their descendants would live as God's people under God's rule in that land. And God would would uh, would bless them with the agricultural abundance of that land, that they would have their needs met. And so keep obeying God. And you'll enjoy the fruit of abundance in the land. Whereas the fruit of disobedience would mean you're kicked out of the land. Exile, Assyria, Babylon. And you won't have any land for your kids to inherit. Now that is the old covenant. We are members of the new covenant uh, created through the blood of the Lord Jesus. Uh, In Philippians chapter 3. Um, Paul also speaks of outcomes and he says that those who are enemies of Christ and therefore they become opponents of us as well because if you want to live the way the Lord Jesus, if you follow Jesus, don't expect to be treated any better than he was. uh, Those who are enemies of Christ, well you don't want to be like them. Not in how they live and not in how you respond to them because of outcomes. What's their destiny? Paul says their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. They're self-indulgent. They live for the day. Whereas if we do not lose our nerve, if we stand firm, then when the Lord Jesus returns our lowly bodies will be transformed uh, to be like his heavenly body, his glorious body forever. Now that is our land. That is our inheritance. That is our crown. So just as an aside, don't be fooled by the prosperity gospel which sanctifies our greed and robs us of our heavenly hope. But God's help, uh, it is both a future hope and it's also a present reality. Now, there's a couple of interesting things about Psalm 25, one of which I think is a bit nerdy, but I'll share it with you anyway. Apparently, if you you read Hebrew, uh, which I don't, not very well anyway, but apparently, if you read Hebrew, um, this is what's called an acrostic poem you know what that means? Some of you do, our, our English HSC students, fantastic. So apparently every verse starts with a, a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet, except the last one. They ran out of letters. <clears throat> so it'd be like if you're writing a poem or a song and you started the first, first line with the letter A, the second line with the letter B, the third line with C and so on and so forth. Right, so that's just a fun fact. Um, <clears throat> and the second point, though, is a little bit less nerdy and more helpfully applicable. And that is that David is still suffering when he wrote this psalm. It's not like other psalms where he, he says, well, I was oppressed by my enemies and I cried out to God. And God rescued me from my enemies and now I'm declaring his praise of that God who has saved me. It's not like that. He is still praying for help because he's still in the midst of suffering. Verse 16. Turn to me and be gracious to me for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart have multiplied, free me from my anguish. Look upon my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. That's humble, isn't it? See how my enemies have increased and how fiercely they hate me. Guard my life and rescue me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. Now, when a stranger or someone who we don't particularly care too much about does us wrong, well, that affects us in certain ways. But anguish? I mean, that's, there's real depth of feeling in that, isn't it? There? There's real pain. That's anguish. That's, that's when you've been betrayed. That's when we feel vulnerable. When we can't control the circumstances because our reason for trust has collapsed. We no longer know who is friend or foe. Especially as treacherous people uh, fly below the radar, uh, white-hanting, poisoning others, and so on. See the words that he uses? The emotion that's lonely, afflicted, distressed. And so, where does David turn? Well, verse 20. Guard my life and rescue me. Let me not be put to shame for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness protect me because my hope is in you. Redeem Israel, O God, from all their troubles. Um, Something that might have just been added in as Israel used this psalm in worship but maybe it's because the person who attacks the king is attacking the whole nation whole nation's vulnerable. David's refuge can only be in God. And he is our refuge too. He is, as the hymn says, the rock of ages which is cleft for me. Our shelter from the storm. Which means that in the eye of the storm, David's protection is described as being integrity, and uprightness integrity and uprightness meaning that no matter what false accusations are made against him no matter how low his enemies stoop he won't be like them he's made up his mind he will aim to be more like God telling the truth turning the other cheek, being gracious, giving no just cause for accusation, even doing good to his enemies. You know, in Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 20, uh, if your enemy is hungry, what do you do? Have a feast in front of him and Gloat while he's starving, is that what you do? No, if your enemy is hungry, what do you do? You you feed him. That's what you do. Uh, if your enemy is thirsty, uh, what do you do? Guzzle down some water in front of her? No, if your enemy is thirsty, you give her something to drink. Uh, the uh, Repay evil with good. Wow! That is so distinctively Christian. Uh, Paul says that that's like uh, heaping burning coals on the person's head. I don't think that's a Christianised form of vengeance. I think what it means is that the person themselves may actually... Uh, that you won't be shamed, but they might be shamed. And in their shame, they might actually have cause to, to look look in the mirror and to realise that you're not the person who... Deserves how they've been treating you. It might actually lead to to repentance and uh, to them actually turning to Christ. Um, I, I think this is wisdom, by the way, that uh, that's helpful for not just for Christians but also for non-Christians. You know, in the last uh, few years or so, there's been a couple of times when uh, non-Christian people have. Um, come to me, spoken to me because, they, because someone has done something really wrong to them in the workplace and the neighbourhood and so on. And they've been feeling that kind of, uh, that anguish that uh, David speaks about and have not known what to do. But they've, they've sought the advice from their friends and they've been told to you know, turn the torch on the other person or the other person, p- people have just used abusive language to refer to the other person, or they've been told, don't have anything for, to, to do with people like that, you know. Uh, but they've come to me and I've said, well, um, how about um, rising above the situation um, and uh, be gracious towards the person, be forgiving, and even look for an opportunity to do something good for them. And that might actually have the power to change hearts. And i found that uh, non-Christian people have said, you know what, thank you. That's what I needed to hear. That's what I'm going to do. This is God's wisdom for all people. But for us as Christians, we've got, we've got an actual power and a motivation to do that, to be forgiving, because we are the ones who have experienced what it means to be forgiven. Now what about you? Where is your refuge and your hope? Uh, I don't know your personal situations but it may be the case that even here amongst us that uh, you may actually be experiencing some kind of a betrayal or broken relationship or unjust treatment uh, even now and uh, uh, if so Uh, then God's Word is speaking to you. Uh, If not, and I hope it's not the case, but if not, uh, that's great. But it's actually good to think through these things anyway. It's good to think through that situation before you find yourself in the midst of it so that you've already worked out how you're going to respond. It may be the kind of um, enmity which could happen to you even if you are not a Christian, um, rivalry at work, for example, the backstabbing that goes on as people try to climb over you to get up on the next rung on the ladder. Or it may be actually because of your faith in Jesus, uh, being mocked or shamed because of your uh, Christian beliefs, uh, your what you believe about God and Jesus, uh, what you believe about. how how it is that God wants us to live our lives. Uh, Christian beliefs which you have expressed and sometimes that can get um, nasty. I've noticed it particularly gets nasty when in online forums and you've probably noticed that as well. And it's tempting to retaliate, it's tempting to hit back, to deploy the weapons of this world. But when we know the forgiveness of God, when, like David here, we allow ourselves to be soaked in the word of God so that God will teach us to, and show us and guide us, and when we fix our eyes on Jesus, who, um, for, the, uh, for, for the joy of that which was set before him, uh, endured the, the shame of the cross... When we look to Jesus, then like David, even though our reputation might be sullied, sometimes irrevocably, that when the storm passes, as it will, we are still standing with our integrity intact, with our relationship with God intact with our heavenly hope intact. Let's pray. Father, we uh, want to thank you for this word from Scripture. And we thank you that you are our refuge. And we thank you that uh, even though uh, the world may disappoint us and we may face uh, situations where we feel uh, great anguish, that uh, as we seek to do your will in that context, that, uh, Lord, we can be assured uh, of your ever-present help and our heavenly future. We pray for those who might be experiencing issues even right now that you would strengthen them and encourage them by your word to stand firm and to live in a way that glorifies you despite the circumstances around And that through that, that others might see their good deeds and even seek to bring glory to you somehow. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.